0: How's everybody doing out there? There's like a little woohoo hoo crowd right there. How are y'all doing back over there in the back? Y'all good back there? Yeah, okay, good. Well, hey, you picked a good week to be here because it's always better to be here at the start of a series. Sometimes people visit in their first time here or whatever they haven't been in a while, and they come to like the tail end of a series. You are the best week because you are week one of a brand new series called Heroes. And so anyway, real quick, I want you to take 10 seconds. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to tell your neighbor what your favorite childhood hero was. You ready? Think about it. Okay, go. Turn to your neighbor. Both side neighbors, too. If you got two neighbors on both sides. Your favorite childhood hero. Who was it? Did anybody hear anything strange? Like somebody said, Benji the dog, or you know, something weird. How many of y'all grew up with uh, He-Man? He-Man? Did anybody grow up with He-Man? He-Man was awesome. But did you notice that like later on in life when you got older, you look back and you realize He-Man was kind of demonic. By the power of grace, it was kind of demonic. I don't know that I should have been watching this as a children. What were my parents thinking? You know what I mean? How many G.I. Joe? G- some G.I. Joe? How about some X-Men? Or I'm dating myself. I come from a certain generation, you know. What? Okay, so, so what's Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Great American? Thor? Okay. Okay. Did anybody get a really strange hero out there? You want to call somebody out and just dime them out? Let them. What? What was it? You're pointing. Flying nun. Coil man. That was like. That was like somebody you made up and drew pictures of. There was no coil man. You thought you were a comic book writer and you coil man. What did he do? You know. You know he was. <laughs> you know. You know who who I really enjoy, have only enjoyed in my late, Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris. You know what I'm talking about? Walker, Texas Rangers, some good old Chuck kickboxing Norris. Did you know, I don't know if you knew some of the details of Chuck's life. It's pretty incredible. Do you know that Chuck Norris died 10 years ago, but death has not worked up the nerve to come and tell him (laughs) that he died yet? Do you know he has a bear skin rug? The bear is actually alive. He's too afraid to move. Did you know, this is is a true story. You'll be able to prove this one. Did you know that Chuck Norris and Superman fought each other on a bet and the loser had to wear his underwear on the outside of his pants? (laughs) It's a true story. There's a street actually named uh, Chuck Norris years ago. They changed the name of the street though because no one crosses Chuck Norris and lives. So they they had to change the name of the street. Anyway, Chuck Norris. Always, always good for a laugh. So anyway, I I apologize. That's just, it tickles my heart. We should pray now, shouldn't we? The Holy Spirit come back. We are in a brand new series called Heroes. Now, you and I, growing up with movies and comic books, we have certain images and perceptions and ideas that come into our brain when we think about heroes, don't we? We think about the claws coming out. We think about lightning speed. We think of leaping a tall building in a single bound, flying super strength, all these things. But how you know that's, that's for the movies? Coil Man is only found in comic books. He's not actually found anywhere, really. But, But... Those are the images that come to our mind, but the reality is, is that we live in a world where we need great heroes. And what you'll find is, is that in this series and in reality, not in the movies, not in the superheroes, not in mythology, but in real life, that we need heroes. And, and, and we need to redefine what hero is because many of us limit ourselves and we opt out and we think, well, I don't have laser vision. I don't have super strength. I go to the gym three days a week. I still haven't found it yet. And so... I don't have all these things, and many times we, here's what we do, we default back. And there's times where we could do something great, and there's times where we could step in, but then we say, well, what kind of difference could I make? You ever do that when you hear these audacious statistics about people dying, or people starving, or people without water, or people with sex trafficking, and you're like, good Lord, the incredible injustice that's out there, but what could I do? And we feel somewhat small because we can't fly. We feel kind of small because we can't do some of the great things. that. And the reality is this, is that whenever there's incredible fear, it gives you the opportunity to have courage, doesn't it? And whenever there is great injustice, it sets the stage for the hero. And that's how we will define this idea of hero today, that a hero is this, is that the hero is one who just answers the call of great injustice. As you walk with us through these next few weeks, you'll find that some of these characters, some of these people, some of these guys... They were not sharp. (laughs) They were not super strong. They were not super smart. Some of them were frail. Some of them were weak. Some of them were full of such doubt and insecurity, and yet somehow they kept making these little small steps towards answering the call of great injustice. Do me a favor. Let's bow your heads and close your eyes with me today, and we'll pray as we begin to look at this series. The Bible says that uh, there are heroes out there There are these men and women who answer that call. Today, God, we want to pray that we become the ones who answer the call, that we become aware of great injustice in the world and become aware even that you are with us to do something about it, that that we might not be able to save them all, but we might save one. We might save some. We might make a difference to somebody. We might become a hero, not to a nation maybe, but what if we became a hero to one person? Father, that is the awakening that I'd love for this church, this series, Lord God. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Yeah, if you have your Bibles, go to Judges chapter 6 with me, and we will take a look at this first hero, because this hero sets the stage for all the other ones. Sometimes we get and we find men of courage, and we find men of strength, and we find men of great character, and those guys inspire us. But I like to start with reality. I like to start where most of us actually feel on the inside. I mean, there's different kind of leaders, you know what I mean, in terms of what they did or how they did it or the strength that they had. And Today, we will look at the non-hero hero. Judges chapter 6 tells a story, and I'm going to give you the context of this story real quick. Now, if you know anything about Bible history, Judges is a book of the Bible that covers a certain span of history. Now, this was when they had the promised land, but they didn't have any kings yet, and they had the law, but... They didn't have anybody kind of ruling over them. God was supposed to be uh, their king, and it, that didn't work out, though. And so Judges is this cycle of, of sin. And you can probably personalize this cycle with our own dumb decisions and our own silly choices and some of the mistakes that we make because what they do is, is they would sin, sin, sin. Life would uh, turn upside down and be all bad, and then what do you do? You turn to God. And so when it gets really, really bad, that's when we turn to God. Thank, thank goodness that never happens anymore, right? So, so this repeats itself like seven different times through the book of Judges. Seven different leaders rise up to free the people of great injustice and great oppression because, well, basically they were crazy. They would do dumb things, get into bad things, start worshiping other gods, make a mess of their lives, and then they would repent. And so this is the story. This is one of these judges. His name was Gideon. Everybody say Gideon. Gideon is the insecure hero. He's the non-hero hero. hero. That's who we're going to look at today. So let's begin reading. Judges chapter 6, look at verse number 11 with me. The Bible says, now here's, here's what's going on. There's a group of people, the bad guys, the Klingons, the the, the Pharisee, the bad people, they're called Midianites, and what the Midianite people would do is, is they would let the Israelite people uh, basically work and sow and, and do all that they did, but right before the harvest was to come, the Midianites would come in, swarm in like, like locusts, and basically take all the crops, beat up the Israelites, and then leave. It's like a classic bully who runs in at lunchtime, beats you up, takes your PB&J, and then he's gone. And that was what was happening to these people. And so the Bible says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So here we see the beginning of the story is here's this kid named Gideon. And he's working for his dad, and he's basically collecting and gathering, but he's hiding, isn't he? Because he knows... Those bullies are going to come. They're going to take their stuff and just make me feel bad again, and then I don't, I'm going to be hungry all winter. And so here's the reality. He is hiding. He is afraid. He is on his own. He's just working for his dad, trying to get by. And right in this moment, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says this amazing phrase. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of courage, O mighty man of valor. Now, when I read, and if you, when we see this story, as we keep reading, what you're going to see is, Either God is a liar, or he knows something that we really don't know yet. Because here is this, here's this young man working for his father, hiding, afraid, scared, knowing what's gonna come. They don't fight, they don't try to, they don't do anything, they're just trying to survive. And in the midst of this, God says, You're awesome. You're courageous. And we're like, No, he's not. He's hiding. This is like calling Pee-wee Herman, you're strong. You're manly. You know what I mean. This is this is if this is this doesn't make any sense. Like we read scripture and we see God telling an untruth, unless you're God. Because here's with the 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 cool thing about God is as soon as you say it, it has to become true. If you're God, the Bible says that He upholds the world by the word of His power, not the power of His word, but the word of His. Power. It's real interesting to think that God just, you got to remember how God created the world. He said, let there be light, and it just had to become because he said it. So, God has this ability to just say a thing, and even if it weren't true, it would do what? It, it would become true, because he said it, because he's God. Now, don't you think we had that power? You know what I mean? We're like, wives, be submissive. <laughs> husbands, <laughs> husbands, take me dancing. You know what I mean? We, we, really, we we'd have all kinds of schools that like, children, obey. Bank account, rise. You know, we would just, we would really abuse that thing if we had that power. And that's why God doesn't give it to us. But, but he has that ability. And so what we see is, is this unique dynamic of omniscience, of that all-knowing, all-powerful, infinite wisdom and infinite foresight. Because here's what you don't know. You don't know how it ends, you don't know how your life will end. You don't know what your life will become of. And, but God does. And so what he does is he has the ability to step outside of time, see your past, present, and future all together. And even though you're not there yet, he can just call you as if you were there. Eventually you'll get there. He does this with Abraham. Have we seen this in the Bible? Abraham has no kids. And he actually changes his name to Abraham. He says, I'm going to call you Abraham. You're the father of nations. Well, that's not true. Yet... He does this to Peter. Jesus has this same thing about him. He's like, Peter, your name used to be Simon. I'm going to call you the rock. No, he's not. He's the most wishy-washy of the bunch. He's the most up and down of the bunch. Do you know who this is? This is Peter. This is the one that denies you. This is the one that gets scared by the 13-year-old girl and starts cussing. And this is Peter. Not rock. Yes, he is. This guy, Gideon, he is the pee-wee Herman of, he says, nah. You're a mighty man of courage. This is going to get good. Are you ready? So, so the Bible says that Gideon responds. And I love Gideon's response. And, and what you're going to see here is seven steps to greatness. If you're taking notes, I want you to follow along. This is how you define greatness. This is how you become the insecure hero. This is how you do something great and become a hero for somebody. Seven steps to greatness. And it all begins right here with Gideon's response. He says to the Lord, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his powerful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up? He's quoting stuff to the angel of the Lord. But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us to the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, this makes no sense. This is how you know the Bible's true. It it doesn't, like no one would write it like this if it, you know, they were trying to write a great story. He goes, and the Lord said to him, go in this might of yours and save Israel. I feel like Gideon, you know what this first step to greatness is? Doubt God. According to Gideon's path, just doubt God. Just, I don't know. Because and, and, you got to think, he says, you mighty man of courage. And Gideon's first response is like, whoa, 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 where you been? Where's the big God? He saved us. He's big and mighty. He's awesome. He's this. Where have you been? And his first response is to doubt God. And then he goes on to quote God back at him. Aren't you the one that saved us from Israel or saved us from Egypt? And, and then God, as if he was not even listening, as if he was completely ignoring Gideon, he says, go in this might of yours. All Gideon just said was, God, where have you been and why haven't you? And you didn't and how you, you could have and you should have. You mighty man of courage, go in that might of yours. Doesn't make any sense, does it? Because either God's a liar or he knows something that you and I don't know. So the first, the first step to greatness is just to doubt God. And then as it continues, let's keep reading. The Bible says that after he, he says this, he says, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. Step two to greatness. Doubt yourself. Doubt God, number one. Number two. Doubt yourself. Look at every reason why you shouldn't and make a list. Look at every reason why God can't and make a list. Look at everything that's bad about you. And sometimes we do this, don't we? We get into the, these, these questions where we're like, but God, did you know? Do you know where I came from? Do you know what I've done? Do you? I'm not talented. I'm not gifted. I mean, he calls this guy named Moses to be the, to be the mouthpiece of God. He's like, I stutter. I can't do this you have chosen the worst possible candidate. God's like, no, 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 this is gonna be great, you can do it. But I stutter, I can't, I stammer, I can't, I can't. And many times we do this, we look at ourselves and we've had dreams, we don't act on them. We've had desires, we don't move on them. We've had ideas, and we don't pull the trigger on them. We've got all these things, and what we do is, is we doubt ourselves. And can I get an amen out there? Don't act like we're not like all like Gideon in some way. And so we do this. We, we start examining our own uh, checklist, and we say, well, well, I'm too fat, or I'm too skinny, or I'm too short, or I'm just, I, I, I'm not good at this, and I stink at math, and I'm not this, and I, who can I help? But look at my dysfunctional life. And you're probably right. But God doesn't look at you that way, does he? He's like, go in that might of yours. All that doubt you've got, you're going to do great. So if it makes you feel any better, if, you've are, if you doubted God, you struggle with believing in God, you're a perfect candidate for greatness. If you struggle with insecurity and beating yourself up and looking down on yourself, you might be the perfect candidate for what God wants to do. Doesn't that make you feel a little bit better today? If God can use Gideon, Certainly God can use me. And what we discover is this is that when we look constantly at our weaknesses, you know what we end up as as people? We end up very insecure, don't we? When we look at our strengths, we get cocky, arrogant and overly confident, don't we? Here's where we want to be in life, though. When you begin to look at God, you have faith. That's where you want to be in life. It's not about your weakness, it's not even about your strength, it's about the greatness of your God. And when you focus on God, you have faith to do great things. Somebody say amen. So let's keep reading. This is just a cool story. We're gonna walk through it. We won't read everything because there's too much, but we'll we'll hit the highlights. So so the Bible says that after this exchange with, with God, and where have you been? And I'm a loser, and you don't even you pick the wrong person, that finally God gives him. Um, this, 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 you know, assurance that I'm with you. You can do this. I pray, you're a man of courage. And so he, he does this. In verse 17, he says to him, well, if, everybody say if. If I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign. Don't you love that? If this is real, I want a sign. I want a sign that it is you who speak to me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present or my offering and set it before you. And, and the Lord indulges. He goes, Okay. This is step three. Step three to greatness is test God. Well, at least according to Gideon it is. And this is what he does. He's like, well, Lord, if this is real, you stay here and I'm going to go. And if this, do you ever do if questions with God? You don't ever do that, do you? You don't ever like, if God, God, if you do this, God, if you'll do this, God, if you, let's think about all of our silly prayers. Ladies, you be like, if, if you'll just bring me a man, you know what I mean, I'll, I'll serve you, or if, if you'll make her mine, Lord, I promise, I'll serve you for the rest. I'll, I'll live in Hudson, Africa, if you'll just make her mine, or Lord, if you'll give me a million dollars, I'll give you like half of it. You're like bartering with God, like if he gives you incredible blessing, you'll give more than 10%. You'll give like, you know, if, 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 and we have all these if questions and if scenarios and these ways that we, we test God, and this is what Gideon is ultimately doing. He's, he's giving them the, the if test. You've never done that with the presence of God, do you? Like you doubted God altogether, and you like were in your living room and your coffee table, and there was a book on the coffee table, and you're like, Lord, if you'll just make that book move a little bit. I'll know that you're real, because I struggle, but I'll know then. Does anybody ever want to claim that they've ever done that, done something like that? Like if you'll, yeah, you're laughing because you're convicted. So you know what amazes me, though, is that when he tests God, God what? He indulges him. He's like, okay. Now, the Bible tells us to not test God, but Gideon does, and God indulges him anyway. I find that fascinating. So the Bible says that even after this moment that the Lord finally gives him a directive. He gives him something to do. Here's what he says in verse 25. He goes, that night the Lord said to Gideon, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, which means what? Gideon's dad is a Baal worshiper. So this isn't like the strong family of faith. So if you're like, well, you know, my family, we're not really believers, and that don't matter. He's a Baal worshiper. Dad's a Baal worshiper. Um, He goes, also, go cut down the Asherah, it's a big pole, it's a place they worship that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull, offer it as a burnt offering with the wood and the Asherah that you shall cut down. So you got the directive? You got to go cut down the idol worshiper and then burn it. We're going to make an offering. And I love this response. This will make you feel better. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it at night. I love that. Step number four to greatness, secretly obey God. See, just secretly obey God. I know it's going to be hard. And you're like, but well, what will people think? And, will they'll make fun of me. Or what if they're not my friends anymore? Or what if, you know, what if, what if we get into the what if scenarios? And, and we're like, you know what? Let's just do it at nighttime. Guys, shh. Y'all remember what that was like when you were teenagers and you would go um, ding-dong ditch? You know what I'm talking about? You, y'all did that, right? Y'all remember like toilet paper people's houses? Always did it under the cover of night, didn't you? Because you didn't want to get caught. This is ultimately Gideon's MO Here's like, shh. No one will know it was us. I'm still going to obey God, just nobody's going to know. And they go at nighttime. And you know what? We find that to be true throughout Scripture, that other guys did the same thing. Like Nehemiah was supposed to go rebuild the walls. The Bible says he went scouting at nighttime because he didn't want anybody to know. The Bible says there's this guy named Nicodemus who wants to come and talk to Jesus and to hear the words of Jesus. The Bible says he came at nighttime because all of his Pharisee buddies would have judged him. So he's like, I don't want anybody to know. And this is ultimately what we see here in Gideon is that he is secretly Obeying God. You know, you know, the point I want you to, to take home from this is that sometimes God doesn't call courageous men. Sometimes he just calls obedient men. Sometimes you don't have to be brave, a brave woman. You just have to be an obedient woman. You don't have to be, like, full of faith. You can be full of doubt and still pull this off. Let's keep reading. The Bible says, and I'll just tell you this part of the story, that after he tears down the altars and after he does all this, God tells him, you're going to destroy the Midianite army. To which I'm sure his response was, you're out of your mind, you know? So you know what he did? He takes it to the next level, and he has what's called the fleecing incident. If you've ever uh, heard this term fleecing, it's a, it's a term that moved beyond the Bible. And really what Gideon does is, is he pulls out this, this fleece. It's almost like a blankety kind of a thing. And he says, here, God, here's what we're going to do. Um, if you're really with me, then in the morning when I wake up, I want there to be dew and water all around the fleece, but I want the fleece to be completely dry. That's, that's the deal. If you do that, I'll go. And you know what God does? God obliges. God's like, all right. So he literally alters nature <laughs> to, to pull this off. He alters uh, molecules and nature and all this. To, and then you, know what, you would think the next morning, Gideon was like, all right, he's with me. He doesn't. He says, okay, God, I know you just altered nature, but you're going to have to do it in reverse now because I'm still not sure. So this time what I want you to do is, is I want there to be dew on the fleece, but everything around it be dry. If, if you do that, then I'll go. Step number five is need more validation. You need more validation. We need to test God some more. Gideon is a riot, isn't he? He makes us all feel better about ourselves as human beings, as followers of Christ, trying to step out and do something great, trying to be the hero. He makes us feel like, good Lord, I could do it if this guy could do it. And this is what he does. He pushes and he tests God. He goes, at first it's just like, well, if Lord, if Lord, if you do this, I'll do this. If you do this, I'll do this. Now he is just absolutely flat out testing the miraculous nature of God. And and sometimes we do this with our sin. I realize that I do this like test God with my sin. Do you guys ever do that? Like, you know, for for years, I always had a heavy foot, and I would always speed. And for the longest time, because God really loves me, I would just get warning tickets. Like, warning, warning, warning. I'd be like, the favor of God is on my life. I remember one time I was driving, and I was coming from church, believe it or not. And I was driving like 90 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour. I don't know what I was doing was a teenager. And and this car kind of pulled out in front of me to where I had to slow down. And the shirt of two seconds later, a cop just goes right by I thought, man, they would have impounded my car. I was going so fast. And so, so I, I'm like the grace. And then all of a sudden, I feel like the grace lifted. I had tested God too much, and I got ticket, 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 ticket. Right, babe? Or my seatbelt, same thing. My seatbelt, I forever was rebellious about my seatbelt, and I would never want to wear it. And I kept getting warning, warning, warning. It's like because God loves me so much. Um, and then all of a sudden, the grace, the testing, I was done testing God. I'd push God to his limits of grace. Todd, wear your stupid seatbelt. You know, that's, so I got seatbelt, seatbelt, seatbelt ticket here's what I want you to do is don't test God with your sin. Never test God with your sin. Because ultimately, when we don't learn consequences, God allows our sin to catch up with us. Not because he hates us, but because he loves us. And if we don't learn consequences, we don't change. And if we don't change, we end up ruining our lives and the lives of everybody around us. So just be careful not to test God with your sin. That's just a a side nugget. That was free. That's not even part of the sermon. Somebody say amen. So the Bible says, Judges chapter 7, early in the morning... I don't know why his dad named him Jerubbaal, Gideon and all his men, they camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moriah. And then the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me, that their own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men got up and left. So like, look, they have, now this is pretty good. Gideon rallies the troops. He rallies the tribes. He rallies the clans. They have 32,000 soldiers. You know God's with you because he's been watering the grass and then the fleece. And he's, you know, he's doing all the testing that you're putting him to. And you've rallied the troops and you're like, okay, God's with me. The important part is plus 32,000 men. And God says, look, here's the problem with your scenario, Gideon. I know you're a super insecure guy, so I'm going to lean into your insecurity now. You have too many men. Because if you go defeat the Medians with 32,000, here's what people are going to say. People are going to say that I lended you a hand. And I don't want that. I want full credit for this. So here's what I want you to go do. I want you to look at all the men and say, hey, look, if you guys are afraid, don't even worry about it. And then how many men get up? 22,000 men get up and just walk away. All of a sudden, your army is cut by a third. Then he goes on and and. Ultimately he 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 cuts it down even more. He says, I want you to go down to the river and watch how they drink water. If they lick water like a dog, they're not in the they're not in the army anymore. But if they cup it and pull it to their mouth like this, they can stay. Well, for some reason, all these dudes decide to lick like a dog and Gideon ends up with three hundred men. How many know your insecurity would start bubbling back up again? Like all that fleece and stuff, that is irrelevant now, God. I am back to, I am alone. I am afraid. I cannot do this. You don't know who you asked. I am, I'm the insecure hero. He's got 300 men now against the entire army of the Midianites. And he, he gathers his troops, all 300 of them. And they begin to plot an attack and they begin to kind of get close to the Midianites. And this is, this is what he does next. The Bible says that Gideon, but let me back up real quick here, because step six is really, really important. Number, step six is this, need more validation. I don't have time to read every bit of it, but he goes down and he says, look, God, there's no way this is going to happen. And, and God tells him, look, go down to the camp, just to the edge, so they don't see you, and listen to them. And the Bible says that because of listening to them, he goes, they're going to say this. And basically, the, the Midianites were afraid. And it reinforced to Gideon that he, in fact, was doing God's work and God's will and that God was with him. So, so step six, if you're taking notes, is need even more validation. And what you find is this. If you're an insecure person out there, which we all are to some degree, but if you're a, a, a really insecure person. Look, my preaching just put that dog to sleep. That dog is whoa, asleep. I hope my preaching is—is is this helping anybody out there? Okay, good. I just put that dog to sleep. I didn't want to put you to sleep. So, sorry, I'm back. What you'll find as an insecure person is this: is that the key to overcoming your insecurity is not to wake up one day and all of a sudden feel like a million bucks. It's not to wake up one day and all of a sudden everything's just changed and you don't even know why and if God did something miraculous in your soul to where you're, you know what it is? The key to overcoming your insecurity is just taking one small step of faith after the other. It's usually not going to be a big step of faith. It's going to be these tiny little baby steps. You're going to baby step it to security. You're going to baby step it to faith in Jesus. You're going to baby step it to doing great things for God. It won't come overnight, and if you look at Gideon, full of doubt, doubts God, keeps testing God, but he keeps making these little steps of obedience. He keeps making these little steps of faith, and slowly he is all the way to the day of battle. And let's keep reading now. So the Bible says in verse 19, it says that Gideon and the hundred men that were with him, they reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands, The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hand trumpets they were to blow. Now, here's what you need to know. God has terrible military strategy. I don't know if you know this or not, but when you read the Bible, God has terrible military strategy. Gideon has 300 men against thousands of soldiers, right? And you know what he tells Gideon? He goes, you don't need a sword? swords. That's silly. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a horn and then like a jar, and that's all you need. This makes no sense, does it? Like, you would be trembling. Imagine me, your leader, you know what I mean? I am Gideon, I am your leader. No, you don't need swords. We're gonna defeat them without swords. Makes no sense. You just need a trumpet and a jar and they put a light inside the jar and they take 300 men, they spread them out in groups of 100 around the entire camp of the Midianites and then literally at one moment, they're supposed to blow the trumpet and then smash the jars and the light that would be in the jars would shine and it was, this, this is their strategy. You know, like, like, David, I want you to go fight a giant. Here's a slingshot. Have fun with that, you know? Joshua, I want you to take down the largest walled city in all of the land of Israel. You know what I want you to do? Just march around it. Just march. You don't need sword. just march. Seven times, seven days, just march around. These weird military strategies. And again, we, we find that ultimately, God is always trying to make the odds go in his favor. Which is, is this thought, if you're taking notes, you should write this down. Don't pray that God changes the odds Just pray that God gets the glory. Because that's what he wants anyway, isn't it? That's why he makes the odds so ridiculous. That's why he makes the battle plan so ridiculous. It's not that he wants to favor you with the odds. If he favors you with the odds, at the end of the day, you look good. But if you pray that he gets the glory, then we make sure that our God looks good. Somebody say amen. Step number seven, the final step that you need to have. To achieve greatness, at least according to the story of Gideon, just show up. Just show up. You mean so many times in life, that's the end? Just try. Just try. Just take a step. Just make an effort. Just show up. Yeah, you're going to be insecure. Yeah, you probably doubt yourself. You probably doubt God. You probably are unsure of yourself. Yeah, you, you. You. Here's what the story of Gideon really, really shows us is that God is not limited to good-looking, super-talented people. God is not limited to courageous, confident, high-character, incredible people. We should all say amen right there. God is not limited to to the superhero model of movies and comic books. That rather, He takes. Well, the Bible says he takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And in Gideon, we're reminded that, you know what? Here's a guy who all he had to do at the end of the day was just trust God, make these little steps, and just show up. This is why the psalmist said, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but I will trust in the name of the Lord our God. It is God that in the end wins the battle. It is God that does it on your behalf. It is not your good looks. It is not your incredible talent and your super high confidence. If anything we find in Scripture, that might actually be a detriment to you. But we find that if you just keep making small little steps of faith, that you will end up right where God, and you know what? God can overcome your doubt. God can overcome your insecurity. And God can overcome your terrible battle plan or his terrible battle plan to get the glory and here you find Gideon if you go read Hebrews chapter 11 and I'll close with this in Hebrews chapter 11 you find this story of great men who did great things all throughout the Bible and there's Gideon amongst Abraham and Moses and all the great people of the Bible and you sit there and you think how did this guy end up in that did we did we not remember how he was doubting God testing God challenging God doubting himself didn't want to show up at the end of the day, all you have to do is show up, and I'm telling you, if you will do that, you will step into greatness on some level, and you will become the hero for somebody. Now, here's, here's where we're going to go today. There is a really cool opportunity that we have as a church. And again, this was just one of those unction moments where I felt like the Lord placed this on my heart. And we did this about a year ago with water filtration systems where we literally bought hundreds of water filtration systems and sent them to Rwanda so that people could have clean drinking water. Was anybody here for that and participated in that? Yeah. Here's the, here's the new news, is that I, I was talking to, there's a great organization out there called Charity Water. It's a Christian organization, and we have a really cool opportunity, not just to buy the water filtration systems, but as a church, we can build a well to provide 250 people with clean drinking water. Now, uh, hold on, because many times, again, we hear the statistics of how many people die and how many people have this or don't have that or don't have that, and we sit back and say, what can I do? That number's too big. I don't have that much money. I couldn't help them. I can't send that many thousands of dollars. I can't do that. You know, but you know what? We as a church, we might not be able to save an entire nation, but we can become a hero for somebody. I want you to check out this video. I'm going to come tell you more about it at the end. Check this out.
1: Water. It's life's most basic need. But there's a water crisis in our world right now. Seriously, a crisis. Nearly one billion people live without clean drinking water. It's happening all over the world, especially in developing areas of Sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, and Latin America. It's a water crisis because it starts with water. But water affects everything. Education, health, poverty, and especially women and children. Let's look at a family caught in the water crisis. It's likely they live on less than a dollar a day. When they're thirsty, they can't just turn on the faucet for a nice cold glass of water. They don't have a faucet. Instead, the women and children go off to collect water. Many walk up to three hours a day to the nearest swamp, pond, or river to gather water that's been sitting out in the open, exposed to all kinds of germs. Time spent gathering water is time they can't spend learning to read, write, earn an income, or take care of their family. Some women in sub-Saharan Africa spend more time collecting water than any other activity they do in the day. And the walk isn't just hard, it's dangerous. The women are alone and burdened with 40 pounds of water. Many get hurt. Sometimes they're even attacked. When they make it home, the little water they've collected isn't clean. Some families know their water is contaminated with germs that cause diarrhea, dehydration, even death. But what choice do they have? Kids, especially babies, are affected most by these germs. About every 19 seconds, a mother loses one of her children to a water-related illness. And each day, almost a billion people are living this way. Until they get a little help. The water crisis is solvable. There are solutions. Some are brand new and innovative, like water filtration systems. Some are age old, like drilled or hand dug wells. These solutions bring clean water much closer to the people who need it. A safe water project near a village restores hours each day to a person's life. This time, it's opportunity, it's freedom to go to school and get an education, to work or start a business, to raise a family. Africa alone could save 40 billion hours each year. That's the entire annual workforce of France. Clean water means less disease. That's less money spent on medicine, which means more money for books and school uniforms. And if the water project is built near a school, it can increase attendance, especially among young girls. The water crisis is vast, but we can solve it. Just $20 can provide one person with access to a clean water project in their village. And this will mean more than clean water. Because water changes everything. Join us.
0: Sometimes we, we, we wait too long we're too reluctant, too hesitant to help somebody to do something. We're too, well, what kind of a difference can I make? What kind of a dent can I make? What, here's what we can do as a church. As a church, you and I can build a well in Rwanda for a little over $5,000 and provide clean drinking water to 250 people. So can we as a church save the world? No, but I can provide clean water for those 250 people, and I can be their hero. I don't know about you, but uh, I want to be the hero for somebody. I want to make some small steps of faith. I want to do what I can as big or as little as that may be. And so here's what we're going to do as a church. I want you to begin to pray today um, because in two weeks, we're going to take a special offering at the end of service. And I just want you to begin to pray now, God, what would you have me do? That's Again, this isn't guilt-based. If, if, if your money's too tight and you can't, don't. there's no guilt involved at all. But many of you are out there and you know your heart was moved towards compassion. You know you need to be the hero for somebody. You know you can make a small difference. And together as one church and as one body, we could do do something great for some other people who have no ability to pay us back and who owe us nothing at all. That right there is becoming generous like our heavenly father is generous. That is us becoming the hero to someone else. That is us seeing the injustice and answering the call. Bow your heads with me this morning. So Father, today, Lord God, as a church family and as a church body, we take on a brand new endeavor, Lord God, and it's to provide clean drinking water to people around the world that we'll probably never meet and we'll never see. They'll never be able to repay us, and that's what will make it great, Lord God, is in being generous, we'll become more like you, who ultimately did something for us that we could not do for ourselves and could never pay you in return. So God, help us to take on the mentality of a hero, Lord God, let us see the need Let us make some small steps of faith. Lord God, let us answer the call to this injustice. Let's be honest. We take it for granted, don't we, that we just turn a knob. We turn the faucet and clean drinking water comes right out. And there are people around the world, many of them, without clean water. And we get the opportunity to bless, to give to be the hero. So, Father, I pray as a church that, God, we would answer the call. Lord God, I pray that you would speak to them individually, Lord God, about what they could do or the amount they could give or whatever it is. And for some of them, they might need to go sell something to get some money so that they can get on board and do this. I pray that you'd give us great ideas, that you give us clear instruction and clear direction. For some of us, it's just going to be uh, maybe, maybe dropping Starbucks for a couple months. For some of us, it might be something even more extravagant. But, God, we pray that you would speak to us as an individual, God, and speak to us about what we could do and what we should do. God, to answer the call of that great injustice, Lord God. We pray that you would help us to step into the role of the hero. Not just for Rwanda and not just for clean water, but every day, Lord God, as as husbands and as, as wives, as moms and as dads, as co-workers, as people who have the ability to help others in need, Lord God. Help us to see ourselves as the hero of the story because ultimately, Jesus, you are the hero of our story. Father, we thank you and praise you in his holy name. Somebody shout amen. Amen. Yeah, get a little big hand clap this morning.